Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about your landscapes, your oh, vegetable patches, your orchards, your perennial borders, shrubbery, all kinds of things, uh, of course, make up our landscapes and make up our gardens. We try to hit on as many areas of the landscape you may have as possible throughout the month. Of course, uh, there are plenty of plants to talk about. There's plenty of practices and principles of design. And there's all kinds of stuff that we can be talking about, especially as we go into fall and with winter coming up. Maybe we think uh, gardening is dead over winter, but it's not true. Probably some of the most important things are going to be happening over the winter months and one of those of course is planting planting things is best done in our area here in the southeast part of the united states uh, over fall and winter now if you're planting a plant that was grown in a container the uh, plant scientists or the horticulturalists tell us we can plant it any time of the year but the magic time the best time is as the leaves on the trees have fallen or started to fall, and we've got still leaves on trees. Uh, the weather has been up and down. We've had a f- first frost, but uh, felt kind of like summer some of the days <laughs> this past week. So with that being said, there are plenty of things to do. As we get to the end of winter, there's things like pruning and, and, and maybe remulching and all kinds of stuff. So I hope that uh, you're excited about this new season as much as I am. Talking about uh, principles of design, last week we talked about some design, uh, trying to bring structure, uh, simplifying your structure in your garden. It's really over the winter months that we see if we have good structure or maybe poor structure, because of course in the winter months there is not a whole lot to look at, but the question is, is do you have plenty of evergreen things? And if you missed last week's uh, discussion, you can find that online at NewSouthernGarden.com or on your favorite podcasting app on your smart device. But we basically talked about not just evergreen plants, which are critical for winter structure and having something to look at, but we really talked about three steps where we will design the floor of our garden just like you may put carpets or rugs or hardwood in your house. You've got to have something attractive on the ground, earth level. And then you've got to have attractive things that are in the man level, the human layer, which of course is from ground up to about six or maybe eight feet. And then anything above that would fall into the sky layer. There are plenty of plants that will create a ceiling in your garden and in your landscape. You may not need a full ceiling. You may not want dense, dark shade all the time, uh, but there are plenty of vines and structures you can build like pergolas and arbors to give you a ceiling, something that is uh, in maybe even framing your garden picture. If you can imagine putting your garden into a frame, uh, 
putting something that is growing up the sides of your garden and then growing across the top. It can really be attractive. So we tried to simplify uh, bringing garden structure uh, or good garden structure to your landscape in last week's program. And of course, at NewSouthernGarden.com, you can find last week's program. You can find this week's program uh, in a few short hours. And you can find every episode of this uh, show at New Southern Garden that we've done, NewSouthernGarden.com. So if you are... Uh, thinking about wintertime and what could possibly be looking good in the winter, I thought maybe we would take a stroll through shady gardens today because, of course, in the southeast we have trees. We have large trees. Uh, We have trees that could be 60 to 100 feet tall when we consider poplars, oaks, hickories, um, well, maples, maybe up to that 60-foot range. But many of our native trees and, and trees that we use in our landscape do cast a certain amount of shade. And I always get people coming to me saying, oh, I've got too much shade. I can't do anything. I can't have nice plants. And that's just not true because some plants relish in the shade. You know, it's not a matter of what a, sh- what a plant needs. It's a matter of what a plant can adapt to. Uh, p- p- plants don't really have preferences, if you will. You and I, as human beings, we have preferences. But plants, the question is, can they handle one condition over another? Or do they handle one condition much better than another condition? Because many times, uh, over the past hundreds of years, uh, human beings have went into the woods, found certain plants and trees, brought them out into the full sunlight, and we find that even though they grow naturally, maybe under trees, they have no problem growing in full sun. Some examples of that, of course, uh, locally, we have the redbud tree, we have the dogwood tree, uh, maybe even some of our native hydrangeas and things, that even though we find them handling the shady conditions just fine, if they're given a chance to grow out in full sun, they do. And they may grow bigger. They may grow with more flowers and maybe denser canopies, denser foliage. So when we think about the shady landscape, we don't need to feel too limited. The real question is, is what can the plant handle? How much low light can a plant handle? And of course, there are plenty of plants that can do that for you. And more so than just talking about shady plants that can grow under trees or maybe in the shade of the house on the northern side, which rarely sees the light of day, uh, we're going to talk about colorizing those shady spaces. You know, in the shade, there are plenty of plants that can handle those situations, but they may just be green foliage plants, which is wonderful. Of course, when we talk about color in our landscapes or in gardens, we are starting with the color green and we are ending with some shade of green. Green is the predominant color in our plant palette. But there are plenty of plants that whether they have beautiful bright colored foliage or maybe they have beautiful bright colored flowers. We are going to talk about some plants for all of you shade folks who are, well, shady folks, I guess we say you're a little shady because I have plenty of spaces in my landscape. We have some large old oak trees that I've talked to you about before. And underneath those trees, you may get just speckled light, just uh, fragments of light throughout the growing season. So in spaces like that, we don't need to just deal with green 
and just accept that's all I can have. No, we need to think about some using plants that are going to bring about a lot of color. And to sort of tag into what we talked about last week, we're going to talk about plenty of plants that are going to fill that ground layer with beautiful shades of green, beautiful shades of yellow, some plants with flowers on them. And then, of course, we'll hit on a few plants that will be in that human layer that are more robust, maybe bigger, uh, that may be as tall as a person. And so with all of these things in mind, I guess the main goal here is to think about the shade garden, your shady spaces, a little differently. And let's liberate our shade gardens from being uh, uh, maybe overlooked or maybe underappreciated. Let's embrace the shady spaces because it's in the summertime that the shady spaces may actually thrive pretty well. Uh, of course, there's some competition with bigger trees uh, if we go through a drought period. But otherwise, because of the uh, lack of sunlight, plants don't tend to wilt as much. You just got to make sure the moisture's there. So with all of that being said, we will go right into your shady landscape and hopefully we'll talk about some plants that spark your interest. Uh, maybe you want to look them up online, grab a notebook and a pencil and we can write some of these names down. I'll try to describe them as best as I can, but you know, I always say that in this business, a picture is worth more than a hundred thousand words. Being able to see those colors, being able to see those flowers and foliage is so much nicer than being just listening to them. But with all that being said, we will talk about some plants of different sizes. And I want to start right here on the ground level. If we're talking about building structure over winter in our garden spaces and we're looking in the shade space, let's think about things that may be very low to the ground. Uh, those are probably most critical over winter anyways, because many of the shrubs we use and trees, they've dropped their leaves. But having something underneath uh, is going to be quite attractive in the wintertime. One of the plants that you may have already purchased today or this week or maybe a few weeks ago is a plant that we use in the sun. Uh, and I don't know if we use it enough in the shade. And of course, we're talking about a winter annual that you and I know as pansy or viola. Now, those two plants are very closely related. Uh, they are in that pansy group, the violet group, if you will, a violet group of plants. And, of course, they come in an, an array of colors. They come in almost every color you could imagine, from pure whites to yellows, uh, pale yellows even, oranges and different shades of oranges and intensities, reds, uh, burgundy nearly. Uh, then there's the purples and the blues. There are some true, I would say almost true blue pansies and violas available today. And of course, there are those uh, pansies and violas that are variegated on their petals. So in other words, you may have a combination of purple and yellow. There's a Johnny Jump Up. Sometimes we call violas Johnny Jump Ups, but the Johnny Jump Up that has uh, a, a nice dark purple and bright yellow just smash together on those petals. It's really attractive. But don't forget that because pansies and violas are related to the um, violet group, that they make wonderful plants in the shade. Now, of course, the deer are going to love them 
they are like candy for deer. So you might need some protection uh, in that respect. But otherwise, most pansies and violas only get a few inches tall, maybe no taller than six or eight inches. And there are some new pansies and violas that are creeping and crawlers. And so you may plant one plant and you may get 12 inches worth of space covered. So think about using those, you know what they look like, I know what they look like, we love them, we enjoy them, the deer love them too, Uh, but if we plant these pansies and violas along the front edge of our shady borders, uh, then there, that color will just be permeating into our faces all the gleary, uh, gloomy days of winter. So don't just put pansies and violas in that little annual bed that's out front uh, in the sun. Think about using pansies and violas right up front in your shady spaces. They're very low, they're very small, and putting them along the edge will just make a super impact in those dark shady spaces. Now, in the perennial world, of course, most pansies and violas are annuals. We will plant them one season, uh, particularly over fall and winter, and they do prefer cooler weather because by the time summer gets here, they've usually lived their life and can't handle the heat. Uh, So with that being said, you might have some uh, that drop their seed and right in place the next fall, they may germinate or they may do some of that over summer. So pansies and violas are quite useful, but we We generally only consider them an annual in the South. So in the perennial world, there are plenty of plants that provide a wonderful display of color, whether it's from their colorful foliage or whether it's from some colorful flowers or maybe a combination of both. And one of my top choices, and we have talked about this plant uh, on the program before, but it's the heuchera or commonly called the coral bells. Now, coral bells comes in a variety, variety of colors. And the majority of the color we get from the heuchera is going to be from its foliage. As a matter of fact, heuchera is a quite large-leafed plant. Uh, Even though they usually don't get over 24 inches, maybe with the flower spike a little taller, but even though they're small, their leaves are quite large. So you've got a great texture there, a very coarse textured plant. But it really comes down to the colors because in today's modern gardening world, we have the opportunity of having so many different varieties and color forms of the heuchera or coral bells. There are so many new varieties of heuchera that I can't really list them all. But when we look at the heucheras, we see greens, we see chartreuse, very yellow foliage. We also see good reds and caramels. There is one called caramel and has a caramel color foliage. And then there's the very dark foliage, like purples and blacks. But when we get back from this break, we'll keep talking about some of these wonderful coral bells and more plants that will add color to your shady garden. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are, I'm trying to walk you through your shady spaces. You know, those spaces that are uh, canopied over with those beautiful large trees you may have or maybe a certain side of the house that doesn't get a lot of sunlight. And I know a lot of times we think that we can't do much in areas where there's not a lot of sun. But that's just not the case because even though many plants do need a lot of sun to show off to their full potential, many plants can handle the shady conditions that you may have. And we're particularly talking about bringing some color to those shady spaces. Now remember, there are plenty of plants to give you that classic green color. (laughs) When we're designing a space, when we're putting plants together, we have to start with green and we have to end with green. But I want to fill the middle in there with a lot of color for you. And before the break, we were talking about heuchera or coral bells. Now, coral bells, they're a native plant to the southeast and most of the United States, at least the eastern coast. And we have done a lot of breeding in horticulture. You know, that's what uh, horticulturalist gardeners love to do is cross plants and see what you can do, see what you can get. And so with that being said, there are a variety of colorful coral bells. We've talked about, yes, there's the standard green, but then there's bright yellows, reds, caramels, purples, and blacks, very dark leafed plants. And there are also some coral bells that show some great uh, variegation within the venation, the venation of the leaf, where the veins are. Sometimes we get these nice um, ashy colors uh, or maybe dark colors on a bright colored leaf. And so with that being said, be on the lookout when you're at your local garden center. Be on the lookout for some of these new coral bells. There are so many of them that you could probably have two or three volumes worth of the number of new varieties in particular that are showing some outstanding color. One of my favorites, though, is um, uh, some of the dark purple leaves. And then right on top is some of that gray, almost silvery venation or variegation on the leaf. So you get a two-tone look. Uh, And then there are some bright yellow leaves on some of the coral bells. And the veins are orange or reddish, and they look really cool. Now, another wonderful thing about the new hybrids of coral bells is that they have bred them so that most of them are quite evergreen. And so this color is not just summer and spring color, but the color on many coral bells comes all year long. But then they do an amazing thing that all most plants do, and that's flower. They flower usually in the spring, maybe through summer sporadically. We have gotten some flowers from our heucheras in the fall as well, but they have sort of a 
foamy, misty look with their flowers. It's sort of how they get their coral bells because they, the flowers come up on a tall spike, a uh, tall kind of naked stem, and then right at the top are uh, clusters of these small little corally colored bells. Some of the flowers are white, some of the flowers are more red and rosy or pink, and that too is another layer of color that you can have in your landscape. Because they have such large leaves, they're well adapted to growing in low light conditions. And as long as they, uh, well, particularly if they're evergreen, then they're getting sunlight uh, in the fall time and winter time, even while the, the leaves on the trees have fallen, and they are storing storing nutrients so they'll have a great bloom show. The coral bells have never disappointed in the way of color. Now, some of the new hybrids, I don't see that they last as long. If you get three years out of a coral bell, one of these new varieties, that's a pretty long time. But if you give them a great earthy soil with compost and maybe manures and mulch them well, keep their roots cool, but also make sure they have supplemental moisture if needed. Uh, Once they're established, they don't usually demand a lot of water. But if you treat it well, then you will probably have coral bells lasting you years after years and there'll be plenty to spread around the garden. Now, another plant that usually falls in the uh, shady garden and you probably are very familiar with is the hosta. Now, of course, hostas are kind of a classic southern plant uh, nowadays. They don't necessarily originate from here. They come from parts of Asia. But with that being said, the hostas are another great way of getting color in your landscape. They are deciduous plants, so let's get this part out of the way. Because hostas only keep their leaves during the warm season and they go dormant in the wintertime, you won't have much color from your hostas once the first frost has hit. Uh, Right now, I still see some hostas lingering, but the recent frost from a couple of weeks ago uh, did start to tell them to go underground. Now, all winter long, uh, you might see these nice, pointed cone-shaped buds right at the base of the plant. Once the leaves have fallen, uh, you'll start to see these buds, and they're quite colorful. They're inconspicuous, but that just tells you that the plant's still alive. So if you ever wonder if your hosta has passed on to that great garden in the sky, just look down where you planted it and make sure you see these cone-shaped buds. Usually, they're a dark green or purple color, uh, which is kind of nice, but nothing to Uh, really tout about. But in the hosta world, there are a variety of colors. Of course, the basic is what? Green. There are plenty of green hostas, but then there are a variety of hostas that push into that chartreuse yellow, which is really nice. And then plenty of hostas are variegated. Now, there's a couple of different variegated forms that I like to distinguish between. There's the white and green variegated, where you have uh, a green leaf with white stripes or, or maybe white edging on the leaf. And then there are the hostas that are variegated in shades of green. And most of the time, this includes a dark green, maybe a medium limey green, and then a bright green or almost yellow. There's one called stained glass that's fairly new to the horticultural world, and it's performed great in the South. I absolutely love it, and it has that shades of green coloration. It's a wonderful plant to uh, to have in, in a shady border. Um, And then there are some hostas. There's one called Fire Island, which I really like because when they first come up in the spring, their leaf is very yellow, but the stem of the leaf is a rich red. 
Fire Island. And so that's something that's fairly new in the hosta world. But then there are the blues, the blue hostas. And these are wonderful. Blue Angel has been around for a long time. But Blue Angel gives you that bluish, almost grayish feel. And it's just a really classic color to add with other blooming plants. And speaking of blooms, hostas are a good way of having some color from their blossoms. They have a tall spike that rises up in the summer, and all along this tall spike are these very deep-throated bell-shaped Uh, nearly bell-shaped flowers. Uh, Most of the time, they fall in the color wheel of purple to to white. Um, That's about the only colors I've ever seen on a hosta bloom. Do they last a long time? No, not really. But they do add a unique structure in the summertime. And of course, having some white flowers in the shade or having some purple flowers in the shade is not a bad idea. So I know you know about hostas, but I want to remind you to be on the lookout for all the many different colors that you can have on those hosta leaves. And of course, because they're a huge leaf plant, and some of these plants can be 48 inches tall and 48 inches wide. Because they are a huge, coarse, textured plant, they look great with other small leaf plants like ferns um, or... uh, maybe some uh, grassy kind of looking plants. Now, the next plant is something that not many of us know about. I really didn't know about this plant until I guess I was in uh, horticulture school. And this is called Ligularia. I don't have a great name other than that for it, but Ligularia uh, is is this wonderful shade plant. It actually does like a bit of moisture if you have that condition. If not, you may be supplementing. But they have big leaves. And that's another characteristic that I've already mentioned. A lot of plants that have big leaves can handle low light because the leaves are so big they can get the sunlight on their foliage. But the beauty of Ligularia, other than its nice foliage, is the fact that it blooms with these bottle rock, bottle brush type flowers. Uh, I think one of them is called the rocket or bottle rock. And they send up these tall spikes with these bright, vivid, yellow flowers. They're little flowers, but they're made up and clustered together like a bottle brush so that it's really impactful. And so you have these tall spikes of bright yellow, it's like rods, yellow rods, golden rods sticking up. (laughs) But with that being said, it is a really cool plant for the shade. Well, when we get back from this break, I've got more plants to talk about. So I hope you've got your notepad and ready to take some notes. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, I'm hoping to help you brighten up your shadiest of spaces with some beautiful colors. And I think that if we think outside of the box a bit, as people like to say, and we look for plants that specifically tout some beautiful shade of yellow or beautiful shade of blue even. We talked about some blue hostas before the break. Uh, And then, of course, we talked about Ligularia. Ligularia, terrible name, I know, but it does 
uh, put up a tall flower spike that looks like a yellow bottle brush. And uh, it doesn't last forever. It doesn't necessarily rebloom. It kind of one and done. But for that season, for that part of the year, you will have some outstanding color with many of these plants. Now, another plant that I absolutely love is one that you learn when you're in uh, plant school, but you don't see a lot of it, particularly in our area. And I don't know why. It's called pulmonaria or lungwort. Now, this has a great story, a great history, because a few hundred years ago, before modern science, um, I guess the (laughs) pre-scientists would look at a plant, and if it had a certain structure, like a leaf or a flower, that actually looked like a part of the body, the human body, then they inferred that because it looks like a part of the body, it must treat uh, ailments in that part of the body. And that's how lungwort gets its name, or its botanical name, pulmonaria, like the pulmonary system. Uh, This leaf on the lungwort looks kind of like a human lung. It's shaped that way. But really, it doesn't do anything for our lungs. I actually think most of the plants those people thought would help the human body didn't really do so. Some of them were probably detrimental. I think there's only maybe a handful of cases, maybe just a couple of fingers full of cases where that was true. So with that being said, lungwort has a great history. It's been around and used in our landscapes for a long time, but unfortunately, I don't see a lot of it. I don't know why, because it makes a great kind of slow-growing ground cover. It stays quite low to the ground, just a few inches tall, Um, and usually the foliage has a beautiful uh, variegation of green and silver and it's a good silver a nice gray color now there are some that have spots of silver some that are mostly silver some that may have striations and modeling with the silver color so there are several varieties of pulmonaria i think that one of the newest ones is called spot on that's the one I have in my landscape from Proven Winners. So you may look to see if you can find spot-on lungwort or pulmonaria. But with that being said, it's not just the foliage that's beautiful, but there is a nice flower spike in different shades of maybe blues. Um, and it's kind of an unusual thing. It's a spring bloomer. Uh, you don't really get a lot of flowers. It doesn't bloom for an extended period of time like some of the other plants we may love and cherish But you do get that foliage all season long. Um, Even after the first frost, my pulmonarias are still looking beautiful. So I think that we'll enjoy that silvery color on the lungwort for maybe a few more weeks. We'll see how the weather goes. But they are deciduous and they won't be in your shady garden for most of the winter. But look into lungwort or pulmonaria. It's a beautiful plant stays low it kind of creeps a bit so you'll have plenty of plants to lift and divide and add to your other shady spots now in the world of the shade garden we are thinking about plants like ferns too now most ferns are kind of standard greens some are dark greens some are bright greens Uh, but then of course like the autumn fern has new foliage that is a bronze color that's a great effect but the one that is probably most colorful and most thought of uh, is the Japanese painted fern 
Now, we've talked about Japanese painted fern in the past, but it is a great plant for the South. It's not an evergreen fern. It's not present all year long. After a few frosts, it should disappear underground. But it will be right back in the spring, providing you with those shades of green, gray, and purple. Of course, there are plenty of varieties of of Japanese painted fern. There's one called Regal Red, which instead of purple. It has more of a red shade. It's still close to purple, but they call it regal red. And of course, you get a lot of that purple color in the stem and on the leaf itself is where you get that mixing of maybe some purple with green and gray. Uh, Of course, probably the best color show for its foliage uh, is going to be during the spring before we get into the heat of summer. Once those leaves mature, they do tend to sort of lose a bit of that color. I do believe that some of the new varieties are lasting with their color a bit longer. But one thing you could do is in the middle of summer when your Japanese painted fern just sort of looks a little dusty, if you will, Uh, trim it back, cut everything to the ground, fertilize it, and in maybe a couple of weeks, you'll start to see those beautiful shades of of, of, uh, purple or red and gray and green. Uh, It probably is the most colorful fern, and it's in the name, Japanese painted fern. It does look like it has been painted with a brush. Now, I think it was just a few weeks ago that we did talk about these next two plants. Um, But I think that we need to bring them back into this conversation because these two plants can bring a spectacular shade of bright yellow, even in some of the shadiest spaces. Now, of course, if they are allowed to get some direct sunlight, they will be more vivid of a yellow. But the plants I'm referring to are most plants that fall into the carex or a chorus, most of the plants you'll find in the nursery trade at least, most of the plants that we sell in the carex and a chorus group are going to have this bright, vivid yellow color. Um, they are a wonderful addition to the shady landscape, not just for the color, but because they look kind of like grasses. They are closely related to grasses, but it's like grasses that can handle the shade. Because they look like grasses, they provide you with these long, thin, very shaggy looking leaves. And that look, of course, being more of a fine textured foliage, will look good right underneath your big leaf hydrangeas or your uh, big leaf rhododendron or whatever other large leaf plants you have in your shady space. These grassy-like plants, the carexes and a chorus, will look outstanding. And I do love these two groups because once they're established, they don't necessarily need lots of water. But if you have a shady space that is very wet and moist, guess what? They have no problem growing in moist or wet soils. Most of these plants in these two groups, the carex and a chorus, they are found growing along wetland areas. As a matter of fact, at the plant nursery, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week, uh, we have a lot of wet areas because we use water uh, routinely, regularly. And of course, we have areas where water is allowed to drain and then is collected into a detention pond or retention pond where we hold onto the water, let uh, nature clean it up, and then we can recycle that uh, moisture back on our plants. But along those waterways, 
we find some of our native Carexes growing and, uh, thing, and Juncus and other things that love to be in the wet soil. So with that being said, there are plenty of a Carex and a Chorus that are very yellow, uh, but some of them are variegated. So you may have green mixed in with stripes of yellow or stripes of white. So be on the lookout when you're shopping for plants this planting season, the fall through winter, for these Carex and a Chorus. You will see them because they're quite evergreen. And even in the nursery, you will see that the plants have their leaves on them. So it's a great way to have color in your shady spot all year long. Another great way to have color in your landscape all year long is an old standard, an old familiar your friend of our southern gardens and sometimes i hate to even mention it because oh it was overplanted in the 90s it was overdone in the early 2000s and people kind of got tired of it um the common name could be monkey grass i don't love that name i prefer its botanical name which is liriope some people say liriope how do you say it however you want either way is accepted as long as people know what plant you're talking about it doesn't matter if you say liriope or liriope but regardless back in the 90s we were using liriope that was just a dark green and i think it has a place i think that maybe we just overused it and fell out of favor but the dark green monkey grass has kind of fallen away uh, even though you can still find it no problem but i have found a few ver variegated forms now you may even have one of the variegated forms it's called variegata lirio variegata and the variegata has sort of a green and yellow variegation so you have these stripes of green and stripes of yellow all on one of those grassy like leaves then of course it blooms in the summer and you get a nice short uh, flower stalk with these rich purple flowers all up and down the stalk I mean, it is a beautiful plant. I think we just saw so much of it back in the day that we sort of have a distaste for it. But in recent times, I have come across a liriope that's called silver dragon. Now, silver dragon liriope is unlike these other liriopes that we saw so much of 20 years ago. The silver dragon liriope has a variegated leaf, but instead of yellow, it's a variegation between green and white. And from a distance, it does look like a silver color. I think it's just beautiful and wonderful. Um, it's got a great name, too. Probably one of my favorite plant names that I have learned so far is Silver Dragon. I don't know why we'd call it a dragon, but silver for sure. And, of course, it blooms in the summertime as well, but its flower is just a pale purple. It's not truly white, and it's not truly purple. It's somewhere between purple and white. You get just a hint of that purple color in its flower stalk. But otherwise, both of these liriopes, all these liriopes, are an evergreen plant in the southeast, and they will give you that variegated color in your landscape all year. I do have the liriope variegata, the, the standard variegated liriope, and I've used it sparingly, but in masses. I think that's the best way to uh, use Liriope in your landscape is to make a sway of it and maybe repeat that in other areas. But don't just use Liriope. Use some of these other plants we've talked about because these Liriopes will blend well and um, uh, accentuate the characteristics from these other plants. Now, 
other than small plants, I think we should dedicate some of the show uh, for bigger plants that can grow in the shade and actually have no issue of giving you some color. It goes without saying, and we won't dwell on this next plant, but hydrangea, right? Hydrangea. Any of the hydrangeas are going to provide you color, but particularly over summer. Now, what I want you to look for when you're going for hydrangeas is not just for the bloom color. Of course, some hydrangeas are blue and pink, and that all depends on the soil type that they're growing in. Some hydrangeas, of course, are going to be um, white, and they may mature to a red or a pink. Uh, that or And then again, some of the hydrangeas, before they turn white, they're sort of a lime color, a green color. So don't forget about the hydrangea. It's just a classic shrub. We have a, a bunch of hydrangeas at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. We're trying to grow them because they are so classic and people love them. We don't want to overdo hydrangea, but there are so many varieties and cultivars available that looking for just the color, uh, you can find something that anybody likes. But other than the color of the flower, look at the color of the stem. There's one hydrangea called nigra, which means black, and it has black stems. And then there's some hydrangeas that have a red stem. It's not just about the color of the flower when it comes to hydrangeas. Look at all of the characteristics. Those stem color really do stand out in a shady space. Gang, when we get back from this break, more colorful plants for your dark and gloomy shady garden. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, if you've been not joined us uh, for any portion of the program, we've talked about adding color to your shady garden. Just because you have shade doesn't mean you're plagued with shade. Shade can be a very refreshing aspect of the garden, not just from the fact that you can take a respite in the shade over the heat of summer, but also because it brings around a brand new and different plant palette that maybe cannot grow in the sun. So for many of those plants that sun is just too harsh, you can find a spot for them under your trees or in the shade of uh, any building structure, your house. And we were talking about a number of plants that are growing along the ground, then we talked about some perennials that maybe get a couple of feet tall. And then before the break, we were talking about some shrubs, some plants that are in the human layer of your landscape. Anything from ground level up to six or eight feet tall. And of course, we had to mention hydrangea. Because even though hydrangeas don't provide 
anything over winter except some leafless twigs, if you will, they do provide a summer full of color. And if you use different hydrangeas and stage them outright, you could have hydrangeas blooming maybe as early as April, May, all the way until frost. And that's a long time for hydrangeas to be putting in color in your landscape. And then, of course, there are the azaleas. Now, these are sort of the no-brainer, maybe, the things that we've used in our southern gardens for a long time. But azaleas are a great way to get some color. Of course, you get evergreen color from the foliage, but it's mainly just that uh, green color, dark green, and that's necessary. But then, of course, in the spring, they flush out with those big, beautiful flowers we all know and love in various colors from whites to reds to pinks and purples. Uh, if we go with native, native azaleas, you get some of the yellows and oranges even. And those are not evergreen, but they still give you some flower color at the end of winter going into that earliest part of spring. So I don't want us to forget about some of those classic plants that we all know and love. Uh, we just need to learn to appreciate them and maybe use them in a way uh, that's new and different. But then there are some evergreen plants that I love, and, and you may know these, you may have some of these, but there are some uh, shrubs that keep their leaves all year, will provide you with some color, and they have some kind of cool foliage uh, variegation. One of those plants is called Akuba. Akuba. Got to love Akuba. Now, Akuba is a Japanese plant, but it performs wonderfully down here. This actually is one of the first plants that I became accustomed to or became familiar with and didn't know its name for a couple of decades of my life. My grandmother had an Akuba planted on the corner of her house that apparently my father had planted when he was a youngster. Well, this Akuba is a large, robust evergreen shrub with these brilliant green stems. Most of the stems of the Akuba stay green until they go through several years of aging when they finally turn to a sort of gray color. But the Akuba foliage, the one outside of my grandmother's house, was a dark green leaf, and it's quite large of a leaf. They may be six inches long. Uh, some of the largest ones may be that big and maybe up to three inches wide. But right on that dark green foliage was the specks and flecks of gold. Now, there is one called Gold Dust Akuba, which is relatively easy to find. Uh, there are some that come with more Japanese names. Maybe they're a little harder to say, but they're just as beautiful. And looking at that plant, maybe we don't need to use it in huge expanses, but they are large plants. So a nice cluster of Akubas or maybe a single solitary plant like at my grandmother's house can be quite effective because they maintain their foliage all year. And of course, you get that play of dark green and very bright yellow. Now, a plant that I think I mentioned this just a few weeks ago, but it is an appropriate plant to use in this situation under trees and shady parts of your house is Fatsia. Now, Fatsia is a very large leaf plant as well, so we're bringing in some coarse textured plants which would look good in front of some smaller leaf plants like your ferns and whatnot. But the Fatsia has a leaf that is shaped like a palm, like a human's hand. 
It has points on it and is round at the bottom. And that leaf itself is enough. But when you look at the spider's web fatsia, all along that hand-shaped leaf is this dark green color underneath. And right on top are these uh, uh, interminglings of shades of white. And that's how it gets its name spider's web, I assume, because it does look like perhaps a spider came through and just added a web on top of that leaf. And again, this is an evergreen plant, so there's no doubt that that is going to bring some color to your landscape, some variety to your landscape, even in the dead of winter. Now, I have a young spider's web fatsia planted at my house, and uh, let's see, it's only been in the ground maybe a year, maybe less it was just in a small pot. But this year, it has decided to bloom. I really didn't think I would get a bloom for several years. But it was late in the summer, early in the fall, and I walked by it one day, and boom, right at the top were these white globe-shaped blossoms just sticking right up top. I've seen fatsias blooming before, but never on a plant this young. And so adding that little uh, white globes on top of the plant was just so uh, surprising and so attractive. And I know that as the plant gets bigger and bigger with more branches, it'll have even more uh, globe-shaped white blossoms that really stand out against that, uh, that spider-webby-looking leaf. It's really a great plant. And spider's web fatsia, uh, even though it may be about five feet tall or six feet, it's not as large as some of the uh, standard fatsia. Fatsias with just green leaves. The standard fatsia could get maybe twice as large, so very large plants. I've seen them in my travels to Florida, and I've seen them in Hawaii. It is a plant that likes a bit of warmth, but we are about as far north as we could grow that plant. So over winter, some of the fatsia we've been growing, it did struggle in that six-degree temperatures. But that's not regular. That's not normal. And so for maybe the next 10 years, hopefully we won't have any of that bone-chilling, uh, very low-temperature winter that we had last year, and they'll be on the safe side. But it didn't kill any of them. It just made them lose some of their leaves. So I do think fatsia is an appropriate plant for our area. It's definitely appropriate in the shade. Too much sun. They don't perform as well. Uh, they struggle from the sunlight, sort of turn yellow. They just don't look good in sun. So if you have a shady site, folks, these are plants that maybe only you can grow. <laughs> for the folks who have no shade, they may not be able to enjoy this plant palette that we've talked about today from pan and violas to heucheras to hostas ligularia and lungwort Japanese painted fern the carexes and acoruses the liriopes the hydrangeas the azaleas can you tell I'm reading off my notes here <laughs> these are plants that the shade gardeners can really enjoy and get into because they are colorful they will add that variety. Many of these have the textural component. And don't feel depressed if you had shade. If you have shade, feel emboldened to make very strong color statements and really add life to those darkest areas around your landscape. Well, gang, thanks for joining me today on New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal. And for WRWH 93.9 FM, I'm Nathan Wilson. Hope you stay well and grow well.
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.